Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Neuralone episode 15. I'm your lived experience host Joe Ambridge. And I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and Joe's co-host Mark Fielding. And welcome back for another episode. We're covering, uh, this is a two-part episode uh, with the second part coming tomorrow. Um, we are covering different types of therapies today um, and we'll be joined by two guests who I'll introduce shortly. Um, we are actually nearing the end of our second series and um, still deciding what to do for our series finale, uh, which is like five episodes away. <laughs> it's come very quickly and we've got a few other exciting projects in the, are running in the background at the moment that we're organising. Um, and yeah, let's just get on to introducing the guests. So I'm going to introduce our first guest today, who is Liz Tully. Um, thank you for joining us, Liz. Thanks for having me. So just give us a little insight on um, the type of therapy that you, oh, I'm trying to think of the word that you do. <laughs> Practice. Practice, that's the one. Practice, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. So I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. So I do uh, a couple of different things with that. So uh, as I said, clinical hypnotherapy so it's uh, hypnotherapy is the actual therapy um, and I also do something called NLP which you may or may not be familiar with so neuro-linguistic programming so for me I use um, neuro-linguistic programming hand in hand with uh, with my clinical hypnotherapy so the, the two therapies that I use most of all. Oh, awesome hypnotherapy has always been something that's interested to me um, what kind of methods do you use in the hypnotherapy uh, when you practice hypnotherapy? Yeah, yeah. So the well, a common question I get asked a lot of the time is there's yeah because there's quite a bit of misconception about hypnotherapy. So I often get asked people by people if I make them quack like a chicken or something like that. <laughs> but um, I do yeah. There it's hypnotherapy, not stage, uh, not stage hypnosis. So. The kind of um, things that I would see, I guess, see people for would be very sort of common mental health conditions. So I specialize in anxiety. So I, yeah, I, I see many, many people with with all kinds of, um, you know, anxiety disorders, depression, fears, phobias, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not yeah. the whole you are getting sleepy, <laughs> not that sort of therapy. No, no, no swinging watches. <laughs> and uh, some people are quite disappointed when I, <laughs> I say to them, it sounds quite a cliche, but literally what they do is they just sit there and listen to my voice. So there's no oh. swinging watches, no sort of magic potions or anything like that. So it's, yeah. it's, it's very, you know, safe and gentle, but uh, obviously oh. very effective nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you have to break down those misconceptions for some clients yeah. before you even start, I would imagine. It is, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting, like, that. I think the younger the client, um, the not as much the younger, but many people have sort of seen um, YouTube clips. So I get that quite a lot saying, oh, you're just going to sort of click your fingers or you're going to do something that they've seen, like, on YouTube. So, I, yeah, I definitely have to break down quite a lot of misconceptions about uh, what I do, what I, what I don't do, for sure. Could I ask a little bit, and this is a really broad question, so just as much as you can, but in, in terms of anxiety disorders, I mean, I, I know you work with many other things, but how, how, how does that tend to work with, with hypnotherapy? Do you have certain techniques that you'll use to deal with people experiencing anxiety? 
Yeah, yeah, I do, Mark. Thanks for asking. So it's, it's yeah, it, it's quite interesting. So I guess the way that I would think about anxiety as a hypnotherapist, and I will absolutely clarify this, that I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a GP or a medical doctor, but the way um, a hypnotherapist may think about anxiety is slightly different to somebody from um, maybe a psychology background. So the way that I would think about anxiety is something that you do, not something that you have. And the reason I say that is that people are not tend to, or, and this may be quite controversial, but I don't believe that people are born anxious. I think that it's a learned response that people get. So to answer your question about the technique that I would use, um, a lot of the techniques I would use for an anxiety client would be sort of time-based or regression-based techniques and obviously doing that under, under hypnosis. So it's almost like taking them back to the time when they first experienced the feeling or the sensation that's linked to the anxiety. Okay. Yeah, so kind of exploring the genesis of where, where the anxiety started, really. Yeah. Yeah, because often the, the conscious brain, so the conscious brain um, may think it knows. And and that's why, so, um, you know, many of my clients, they will, you know, they will have been to see a counsellor, they may have been done some CBT, they may have seen a psychiatrist. So I, I tend to see um, a lot of clients who are almost at the, it, it's almost like I'm the last call. So it's, it's sometimes they feel like they've seen everybody else. So they may as well just give this, you know, quack person a, a go because, they've, you know, they've got nothing else to lose kind of thing. So, you know, quite often my clients will tell me they're almost like sick of talking about the problem that they, they know where or they think they know where the sort of the problem stems from. Um, but quite often what our conscious brain thinks versus what our subconscious brain thinks are two different things. What made you want to go into clinical hypnotherapy? I'll be honest, it was kind of by accident. So I'd gone through um, a period of anxiety myself. So um, just a little bit of, of background. I work in a corporate, uh, my background is in human resources. So I worked in a very, very stressful um, corporate HR role and I experienced a really severe burnout period. So what that led me to think was I actually wanted to do something a bit different with my life. Um, I do enjoy doing HR, but I wanted to, I've always been really interested in, you know, psychology and what makes people tick. So I decided to study um, a diploma of modern psychology and it had three components to it. There was um, NLP, which really interests me, coaching, and then hypnotherapy. And the hypnotherapy was almost the, the last thing that I was interested in. I didn't know anything about it, wasn't really curious about it whatsoever. And from the, the study that I did was very immersive. So it was, you know, two, three weeks of actually, you know, nine to five full on immersive hypnotizing each other from, from day one. And I went into the program with, I've not swam in the ocean for 20 years. I was absolutely terrified of sharks. And I think by day two, my fear of sharks had gone and I was swimming in the ocean. I had such dramatic transformation myself that I thought, oh, I think there's something in this, in this hypnotherapy lark. But to answer your question, I, I wasn't, I really wasn't interested. I'd never, never met, never been to hypnotherapist, never even really understood what they did until until I really experienced it myself 
That's yeah. something that's been coming with a lot of our guests, especially even the professional ones that have had their own experience with mental health and obviously led them to go and do their own, go down that path of like, become a therapist. And I feel like maybe if that the therapist, me personally, feel like your therapists have got their own personal experience where they've been through their own mental health thing. It, I find that relationship is a lot better to kind of, it's a lot easier to develop with the therapist yes. and finds it a lot easier to kind of open up and have have that relationship with the therapist where you trust them and you um it's feel like it's a bit more effective if you know that they've been through their own experience as well yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely no, I think it's you need I mean, just as you say Joe you know I mean it's often true isn't it I mean why are we attracted to the fields that we're in you know because I guess we've you know we've often had to work through a lot of our own stuff haven't we you know continue yeah. to work through it probably yeah but, yeah absolutely yeah. so but 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 I guess you know the the experience you had wow I mean so this this had been a lifelong phobia really and you had to uh, hit the therapy and then it just went away really yeah so literally since and it's cliche but since watching Jaws as a child I I was absolutely terrified and I am from the UK originally so I moved to Australia and you know lived in living Queensland with beautiful beaches and, and just never ever I, I would literally be sat on the beach terrified I mean I very rarely would go to the beach but if I did there was never a chance of me getting into the ocean and I would literally be sat on the beach scanning for somebody who's going to get eaten by a shark I was that scared of them and um yeah as I say by sort of day two when I say by day two it was literally a five minute process so it wasn't that I'd like two days of therapy it was a five minute process that that alleviated my uh, my fear of a shark so and, and the same with many other my classmates there was a girl who was went into the program um she she was drinking six cans of coke a day and and then that wasn't even obviously she was doing the program for and um learning it wasn't to give up coke but she she was drinking six cans of coke a day and two minute process and she'd never drank a can of coke since so it's just wow. such a quick and effective um therapy yeah I guess you, you speak directly to the unconscious, to the subconscious mind, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, th- I think the thing that the, the study that I did differs from some other um, hypnotherapists is the, the, so I honestly don't think I could do hypnotherapy without the NLP part of it because many hypnotherapists would just study the art of hypnosis so actually putting somebody under which is a very important part of it um and many but many hypnotherapists actually read from like a book of scripts so you can you know unfortunately you can sort of download them from the internet and and it's these very sort of generic scripts about you know stopping smoking or weight loss or fear of whatever it may be so for me they only get you so far so I think that they you know can be quite effective but by doing the neuro-linguistic programming that really speaks to the person so it, it talks in their language patterns and their the way that that sort of thing is programmed within within that person so I sort of really find that you know NLP and hypnosis go go hand in hand. Would it be okay to, just to ask a little bit more about NLP, Liz? Because I have to say, it's, uh, I mean, I'm aware of NLP, but I, I know nothing about yeah. it at all, really. I'm really interested yeah. to a bit more if that's okay. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that the neuro part is obviously well, obviously your neuro is like the neural pathways in your in your brain. So that's the neuro part. The linguistic is how you language things to yourself and others, and then the programming is almost how that's sort of programmed within you. So a, a sort of a, the best way I like to explain it is. If we say, say if you and I had um, an experience, which is the same experience, so imagine if we saw a spider walking across the screen. So we would see the same thing, albeit from slightly sort of different perspective. And the way that you may react to that may be very different to myself. So if I was scared of spiders, I may see the thing. So see the spider have a physical reaction to it. So it could be that my, I might get flushed, um, you know, flushed skin. I may say something to myself, like I won't swear on this, but like, holy. And then I might literally exit the room. So that that's a neurological a linguistic what I'm saying and then how that's programmed I would have a yeah it's like a program within whereas you may not be bothered about spiders whatsoever and see the same thing and have a very different response to it so that's kind of a way of explaining um NLP I hope that sort of gives you a, a little bit of sort of insight into what it is and that's why I'm suggesting that when I talk about you know, people with with some anxiety disorders, in, in particular things like, you know, fears and phobias, it's a learnt response. So, you know, people aren't born scared of sharks. Like I wasn't born scared of sharks. It was a response that I had to watching Jaws or what I thought. And my subconscious may have told me something differently. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really about sort of how we are. It's like a program response with us. So, what NLP does is tries to almost like uncover the code. So what's the the thought? What's the feeling? What's the, is it a visual thing? What is it that happens first? And then literally reprogram that within. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that sort of thing. Like, um, I, I, I'm not keen on, like, I, I can't swim because I have this fear of like drowning and stuff because I've bad experiences where I've been, knocked underwater or pulled underwater when I was younger so I'm always even I'll get in a pool but I won't swim I always have this worry at the back of my mind that I'll slip or I'll go under or if someone put, yeah. like my friend pushed me when I was on holiday with one of my friends one of our first holidays and my friend pushed me in the pool and I'm like oh it would be fine to float back to the top and I didn't come back up to the top um and that's kind of where my anxiety started kind of really taking taking off and hiding since then um yeah but yeah as yeah. you say it's not something that you're born with like it's something that might happen like for me obviously that's because I've been pushed underwater or I've had yeah. bad experiences that have kind of made me develop those anxieties about getting in the water or something yeah yeah. And so literally how you described that. So that's how you do that fear. And, and again, sort of going back to the hypnosis with the script, um, if I if say, for example, if I was trying to help you get over that, that fear and I was sort of talking about drowning in a different way. So for you, it was about that sort of being pushed under and not being able to get up. 
somebody else who's written a script it might the language might be really different so even just the words that you describe would be really different so that's the difference between seeing a therapist who's got an NLP training versus a hypnotherapist who would just read from a generic script yeah that's really interesting you know I mean Mm. mine is spiders I have to say I've got better over the years but you know I am the guy that's standing on the chair when the spider <laughs> crawls into the room yeah right you know yeah I've you know I think I've moved away mostly depending on the size of the spider from standing on the chair but I, I still find yeah I mean I could probably benefit from actually yeah well I was gonna say I know, I know a good hypnotherapist who can help you with that <laughs> yeah I mean thank goodness I don't live in Australia <laughs> yeah yeah we know we have a lot of <laughs> We have a lot of scary stuff here. <laughs> uh, did you want to ask anything else, Mark? Any other questions you had? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I really wanted to ask how it translates online, because I think for all of us, you know, in the profession, we've all had to, you know, to, to translate our practices online because of COVID. And I'm just really interested to hear about your experiences, really, and, you know, what, what, what that process has been like for you, Liz. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really interesting. I mean, in Australia, we've been very well. It depends where you live in Australia. I live, I'm from Brisbane, um, so we've been quite fortunate that we haven't had such severe lockdowns as, as other cities have. But we we certainly have nonetheless. So, I think Mike's it, it, it's been it's been twofold really. So I normally practice from a clinic face to face. So what I found was that when I, um, so I had to sort of go online during lockdown periods and say if I was sort of through, you know, two sessions in with a client and we had to go into lockdown, the client was really reluctant because they'd been used to seeing me face to face, they were quite reluctant to go online. Um, So, you know, I was able to then a few weeks later see them face to face. But because we just had so many sort of false starts and opens and shots, I decided to take my my practice 100% online so what that's really meant is I guess the people who were used to seeing me didn't really want to sort of come back and see me see see me online that isn't such a bad thing in the way that with a hypnotherapist you typically only see because it it either works or or not right it's not the kind of therapy where you're coming back you know five six seven times typically I would see somebody three to five times so I tend to see a lot of people um you know I'm I'm seeing a lot of people more free as in a high frequency of people so when I went online it it was actually good in a way because I'm able to see people who had a again specialised in anxiety many people wouldn't come and see me my practice was near the city and had a fear of driving so wouldn't come into the city to see me so um, I, I, I was able to see more clients like that online. I was able to see clients who live in you know, different states, different cities uh, to, to me. Um, so it definitely had uh, some positive effects in terms of being, you know, having a, a wider reach. Uh, there are certain kinds of, of processes that I'm unable to do over Zoom and it was really from a safety protocol perspective so some of those regression based techniques I'm unable like ethically and and, you know morally unable to do over Zoom just in case we lose connection Um, I mean there's there's sort of certain protocols I would put in place for that but um, yeah it's kind of been a double-edged sword so on one hand I can see you know I've got a a broader reach but on the other hand there are a couple of 
processes that I'm not able able to do. And um, but yeah, I think like everybody, we we just we just learn to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, and just before we introduce our next guest, um, if anyone wanted to find you or contact you, and whoever would we find you? Yep. So my website my website is mindspacetherapies.com.au. So there's um, some information about me. I've got uh, a book now page. I also offer a 15 minute free phone consultation. So, you know, many people, most of my clients, especially first clients would book in to, to have a conversation with me because, you know, I see there's a lot of people who are quite skeptical or, or just unsure or, you know, curious about it. So I certainly give people the opportunity to ask me any questions um, and do a, a 15 minute phone consult first and then we you know can book in for, for for sessions so yeah mindspacetherapies.com.au is where you can find me oh, awesome we'll, we'll share them when we were uh release the episode um thank, thank you, you for joining us we will introduce our next guest now and uh, we are joined by erin penner thank you for joining us erin thank you so much for having me our pleasure. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, the type of therapy you practice. Yeah, so um, I'm mum of two young boys and um, becoming a mum totally changed my life, as I'm sure many people can relate to. Um, and I just really struggled. I felt really alone and um, I'd seen a psychologist for years on and off for different things. Um, and I started decluttering my house and journaling and doing affirmations and found a lot of healing in that. And then I found EFT, um, which stands for emotional freedom technique. And it fast forwarded my healing more than anything else. Um, it just totally transformed me. And in about eight minutes, I felt like I'd done six months of all the other therapies that I'd tried. So um, I decided that I wanted to go back and study it so I could help other people. And I specialize in mums because I can relate to a lot of their challenges. Awesome. So just talk, tell us a little bit what um, EFT is, please. Yeah, so a lot of people call it tapping um, because that's the physical thing that you do. Um, so it starts with what we call the clarifying the issue. So it's basically discussing um, what the person's struggling with, what that feels like. A lot of what Liz was talking about, actually, a lot of um, what are you saying to yourself about that? How is that feeling in your body? What does that remind you of from your past? A lot of it comes back to um, inner child wounds and childhood experiences that people have been carrying around in their subconscious. Um, and yeah, so we clarify the issue and we really get it down to basically one word that summarizes a lot of the emotion um, and the physical feeling that that shows in your body. So it can be like, you know, I'm nervous right now. So I've got a racing heart rate and my throat feels a bit tighter than usual. And um, my hands are a little bit jittery, for example. And so that could be summarized by nervous would be like the word that I would use to describe all of these sensations. Um, and then we would rate that. So there's two different scales um, to rate it. I prefer the SUE scale. And so 
that is like a minus 10 would be the most nervous I've ever been. Like, I don't know, I'm standing in a, on a stage in my bikini being judged or something like that. And then zero would be neutral and plus 10 would be my most confident, least nervous version of myself. Um, and so I would rate, um, obviously the client would rate themselves on that scale. And then we begin tapping through the meridian or the um, acupressure points. Acupuncture uses the same ones. Um, and we start to release the beliefs that you have around that, the physical symptoms you have around that and um, heal the inner child wounds that you might have around that as well. I mean, EFT is so interesting. And I have to admit, I've had both of your therapists. I mean, I've, I've had hypnotherapy. I did a bit of training as a hypnotherapist years ago and I had a lot of hypnotherapy, found it really effective. Had EFT, Erin, and, and I'm going to be honest, I was sceptical when I went in, but I found it really worked for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a really, really effective technique. And I guess it draws on, you know, thousands of years of, I mean, you know, acupuncture and meridian points. I mean, this has been... I mean, this has been information and information is probably the wrong word that has been around for, you know, forever, really. Yeah, it's ancient yeah. knowledge, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah. And um, it was actually started by a um, clinical psychologist and he felt um, he was really interested in traditional Eastern medicine um, and had gone uh, traveling a lot and was wanting to absorb as much information as he could about it. And he had someone in his clinic or office or whatever with a phobia and they talked about it, talked about it, talked about it and still couldn't shift it. So he's, well, this is all hearsay. I don't have him quoting this, but um, that, yeah, it was a phobia and he remembered and he said, what does that feel like in your body? And his patient said, oh, it makes my belly swirly and like it makes me feel sick just thinking about water actually was her phobia from the stories that I've heard. So he remembered that there was a point right under your pupil, if you're looking straight ahead, that is linked to your, um, your stomach and digestion and um, belly. And so he said, oh, could you just push on that point for a little while? Oh, what do you think about now? And she said, no, it didn't work. He said, okay, maybe give it a rub. She said, no. And he said, okay, give it a tap for a little while. And he just sat there and watched her tapping it. And then he said, what do you think now? And she said, I think I feel better. And it carried on like that. And then within, I would say probably, I think under half an hour, um, her phobia was completely cured and she was no longer fearful. So yeah, it's a really interesting wow. um, man, mesh of East meets West um, philosophies and ancient knowledge versus modern science, I guess. Yeah, and again, I guess it is. I mean, correct me if this is, this is wrong, but it's really exploding into mainstream psychology, isn't it? I mean, I, not to suggest it was niche to start off with, you know, I don't think it was ever, but I, I, for the sense I get in the UK, I mean, it's really exploding into, you know, yeah. into kind of psychology at the moment, you know, and there's a lot of research yes. being done on it, isn't there? And I actually asked a psychologist when I was seeing one in 2019, oh, I've heard about this EMT thing. Do you know what it is? Can you do it with me? And she said, no, but a lot of people have really good results. And she said, just look it up on YouTube. But I didn't know any better. And I thought, oh, if I go and do it myself, I might trigger something in me and, you know, something might go awry. But now I know that, you know, it's safe to do on your own. And um, it's really, really great for lots of people. Will, will, will you give people protocols to 
continue on their own. So they'll have the period of therapy with you. And then will you give them, they'll be able to continue, you know, using EFT afterwards. Is that something that, yeah. that happens? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I do it virtually as well. Um, and I actually think that having the clients know that the power is in their hands and they know what it feels like to tap on their um, meridian or energy points themselves, what feels good, what feels too firm, what feels too fast. Um, it's kind of like that lesson um, of unlearning to ignore your body and what it's telling you because so much of society is you go to school, you get told when you can go to the toilet, when you can have a drink, when you can eat, when you have to wake up for the day and then you go into a industry, usually that's the same. You know, you eat in your lunch break, you can't snack during your shift and um and you have to wake up to get to work on time and all of that. We're sort of in a society that we're taught from a very young age to ignore, ignore, ignore. And the messages that your body is giving you is an inconvenience. And so um, a lot of EFT, in fact, even myself, I've changed so much about the way I hold my body. And like when I need to shift um, a stress or something out of my shoulders or stretch my neck, um, I just do it, whereas so many people sort of are frozen in our sessions together until I start saying, do you need to yawn? And they'll let out a big yawn and a big stretch and all of that. So I always make sure that listening to your body is encouraged. And if that means you need to shake your hands because you feel tense or whatever to just go for it. Um, yes, yeah, so I teach them how to do it themselves and I work with them to work on the scripts. So Usually they would choose the wording um, and we would go through the tapping points and then I will send them the words that we used as an affirmation for them to continue with at home. And I say you can just tap on the karate chop point while you're saying that affirmation if you want to or you can just say it. Um, and a lot of people that love EFT worry about, you know, tapping the top of their head or their eyebrow when they're out and about if they feel a wave of stress coming on them or whatever. But a lot of things, there's tapping points like all on the fingers and the hand um, and the wrists and everything as well. So I often will just say just, you know, if you're at your desk and you're stressed, got a pile of work that you need to get done, you can just tap on the karate chop point and think about what that feels like. And often you'll start to release it just from that one point. So. Yeah. And so I have coping strategies that people can use in the moment. I just think it's so useful. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really useful. I guess people feeling empowered in situations where previously they felt completely disempowered. They were really stressed at work. They were overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. And then, you know, yeah. they have a technique that's going to bring them down effectively. Yeah. And I guess you're, you know, I, mean, I guess you're reprogramming, reprogramming the brain, really, in a way. I mean, you're both doing yes. this. Yes. Both in, in both of what you do. There's a Very similar. Aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And, um like when I learned about EFT, I learned again about Candace Pert. I'd heard about her earlier, but I learned a little bit more about her um, and the mind-body connection. And I just thought, how are people not talking about this more? It's such uh, amazing research and there's so much that we know. Um, why is this not being studied more? Why is this not being talked about more? Um, so much of science tends to treat them as two separate things that are connected together with muscles and bones and nerves but 
not open to treating using the body to treat the mind and using the mind to treat the body yeah i mean holistic treatments are the way to go i mean i mean we're yeah i mean we're we then the, the mind body separation is is nonsense really isn't it i mean we are you know we are just integrated holistic systems really and, and candice pearl i mean i read molecules of emotion i think it was the book i read she's probably brought a lot of books out since then yeah i absolutely loved it i thought it was fascinating the book it was a really really excellent yeah. book i really liked it yeah could I ask maybe just about COVID and just to ask you the same question that, that I asked Liz really, how have you been able to translate your practice, you know, online, you know, after the COVID academic pandemic? <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing because um, even in clinic, often people tap themselves. And so the practitioner is really there as a witness. So it hasn't changed that much. Um, I actually opened my business during COVID. So I can't, um, didn't have to sort of shift clients over like Liz did. Um, but people are now beginning to ask me now we're out of lockdown. I'm in Melbourne. So we've had the longest and harshest oh. lockdown, I believe in oh. the world. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Yes. So um, people ask me, oh, are you going to do house calls now? Or are you going to open a clinic? But um, I had a review recently that summed it up so well, which is for mums, we don't have to worry about getting a babysitter, parking, paying for parking, um, waiting in a waiting room, uh, getting home, paying for the babysitter and all of that. Like there's a lot of inconvenience that comes from seeing someone. And even for me, driving to the other side of the city in peak hour traffic or whatever to do home visits, it's just so convenient to um, flip open a laptop and you're right there. And uh, clients using their own hands, I think, is more powerful even than if I was tapping the point because um, they, again, like you said, they know that the power is in their hands and that they're capable of doing this. And it's not me, it's them that's doing it really. I'm just witnessing and just letting them know what's next and what to expect. And um, for me personally, it's such a better way for me to get a work-life balance. Like I'm at home and then I open a door and I'm at work and then I close the laptop and I'm home again. So um, again, yeah, having two young kids, it's just such a better balance for me. And I'm all about that, you know, for my clients to talk about um, making mum life easier. Mum life doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be a sacrifice and it doesn't have to be a struggle if you don't want it to be. And there's a lot of limiting beliefs around you can't work and be a good mum and yeah. A lot of things so yeah I, I agree with that i reckon mums are probably have have a habit of looking after others before looking after their own mental health um and then they have all yeah. that stress and stuff about realizing and then obviously they don't have the time to deal with it because they've got to look after their kids and handle everything yes um, and there's the whole level of mum guilt as well. Um, like, oh, I'm, I'm giving and giving and giving and I know I should be taking time for myself, but I'm not. And so that adds a layer of guilt, which does nothing but um, intensify whatever challenges they've got going on. Um, and then the same with, yeah, they know they should be seeing someone for their mental health, but they can never find their time. And they, they try to put themselves as a priority, but um, they feel guilty to do that, but then they feel awful not doing it. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. 
I just want to touch back on what you were saying about the tapping thing. Um, I know, obviously, some, as you said, some people are probably a bit humming and hour about doing it themselves and stuff. I used to have a little thing called a, a fidget cube, and it had like mm -hmm. buttons and joysticks and stuff and stuff to click on it. I used to use that a lot when I, um, when I was still in London, like if I was stressed and stuff, I used to use like click it or play with the joystick on it because it keeps you mind focusing on what you're doing it used to help so much with stress and anxiety yeah um and just i do wonder how yeah. much of the tapping is kind of a soothing soothing strategy as well as you're focusing on one specific area of your body and you're focusing on the rhythm that you're using um yeah and it does sort of take your mind off what you're struggling with as well as, you know, in theory, changing the neural pathways that are linked to that emotion at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of, I mean, I've, I've had um, EMDR online and it, it's the kind of butterfly, you know, and, and again, you know, skeptical, you know, I mean, I always have a healthy skepticism, but wow, mm. I mean, there's something about the tapping that, I mean, goodness me, the, the depth, I think, that, I mean, without going into the whole EMDR technique, I mean, the depth it promotes, I think, is absolutely incredible. I mean, it really, really is amazing. And, and you also, just to rewind a little bit, I mean, you were talking about affirmations. I mean, I'm a big fan of affirmations. You know, I mean, this also is reprogramming the brain, isn't it? Yes. And I um, thought when people said mindset, like, oh, you've just got to change your mindset. I thought it was like a woo-woo term of like, you know, yeah, just, just change your mindset and your life will change. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. But then I learned what mindset really was, that it's a combination of your thoughts and beliefs and a belief is just a thought you kept thinking. So instead of thinking, I'm terrible at this or my life is always stressed or you wake up in the morning thinking, oh, today's going to be another awful day, you start with affirmations saying like, my days are free and easy, I'm capable of, of handling even the toughest days and all of those things and you keep thinking of them and it does change. Yeah, I mean, you both work with neuroplasticity, don't you? You know, the brain is, you know, it, it is really amenable to change you know all the research suggests that and this is what you both do isn't it you change the architecture of the brain I guess yes <laughs> and even um people believing something for like over 60 years can be changed in like one session maybe 10 minutes of tapping and they're like oh, I don't think that about myself anymore it's just imagine if you'd let that go 50 years ago what a different life you could be living and the way you could feel about yourself and others the way you relate to yourself and other people the words you use and it's kind yeah, of similarly you'd be living yeah and similarly in psychotherapy approaches you know reframing is something you know we in psychotherapy talk about a lot and again it just seems like such a small thing doesn't it you just reframe something but you know reframing a core belief that has probably kept you in a certain place and you know and, and made you look at your life through a certain lens possibly for years it, it it's incredible you know i mean you you just change some of these belief systems and in doing that you change people's lives i mean this is both you know what you're both all about really isn't it you just changing yeah. people yeah if for, the, for the better you know changing core beliefs changing i mean we, we, you were saying about phobia liz yeah i mean mm. people people have people can have phobias from you know really really early they generally do start then don't they for the yeah. rest of their life 
And so the freedom, I guess, that, you know, losing that phobia or losing those, you know, those really, really stuck belief systems, you know, has for the person, you know, in leading their life. I mean, it's just incredible, really. Yeah. 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 It really, and I would just, just go back to my, my shark phobia. I mean, my shark phobia was really easy to avoid. I just didn't go into the ocean or I didn't go to the sea. So that was, that was, you know, quite easy to avoid. But on the flip side of that, you know, I just, I, when I started, you know, when I got rid of the phobia, I just thought, oh my goodness, I've missed out. I've been to the Great Barrier Reef and I've done all these things and never actually got in the ocean because I was too scared to do it. Um, but as I say, that was a, a, a thing that I could quite easily avoid. But for many of my clients, and I'm sure for, for you, you know, a, a, a very common belief that people have about themselves is this, you know, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really sort of common belief that people have. And, and that's something you can't avoid. You know, I could avoid not seeing a shark. But, I, you know, if, you, if you've got that belief of I'm not good enough, that just you said, it just it just sits with you and carries with you you know sometimes very consciously but quite often very subconsciously around the things and the words and the actions that you do every single day of your life so yeah belief work is is, yeah a lot of what I do um in hypnotherapy and NLP yeah Yeah. sorry Joe yeah it can affect you in a lot of ways and in subconsciously affect you really realize and I found that when when I was in relationships I didn't value myself really highly because I was bullied during childhood and um, I was talking on a previous episode about I did a self-esteem workshop and I noticed so many things about myself that I was subconsciously doing without realizing and then the minute I cut those things out or I didn't like stuff like people would pass off as banter that might not be seen as a nice thing to say in other in other ways or in another person's view um, and the minute I started valuing myself or not letting people speak to me the way they spoke to me it just was like a massive weight off my shoulder and like because I had that low self-esteem it was affecting me when I was getting into relationships and stuff I always was really insecure I was worried like oh are they not interested and I, 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 I was guilty of over texting sometimes just because I was panicking if they didn't reply that maybe they there's a term called ghosting where they just stop talking for no reason like without reason um, and like I think I'm a lot better now that I don't have those insecurities I kind of reaffirmed myself saying no they're having a bad day like I'm in a relationship now and I've been with my partner for nearly four years and if she's not really chatty I just reaffirm myself oh she's probably had a bad day or she has a stressful day at work she's tired and said before whereas before I'd be like oh what have I done wrong or is it me that's done something but now like I rethink stuff before I like overthink things. Yeah. There's a big mindfulness component in that as well, Joe, which you not said explicitly the, the step, the stepping back, isn't it? And just yeah. taking a second, I mean, literally just takes a second. You just notice and then you choose rather than drop into, you know, automatic kind of default reaction, which we all do. I mean, you know, mm. we all going do to, this, don't we as humans? Going yeah. to fight or flight automatically. <laughs> The whole yeah, and that's exhausting. It's exhausting, oh, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask yeah. if people want to get hold of you, you know, for 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 treatment and to find out more. How do they how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so I've got a website, erinfaithwellness.com.au, um, and I'm on Facebook, 
LinkedIn and Instagram. Most of those are Erin Faith Wellness as well. Um, LinkedIn is my name, Erin Penner. Um, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me and you can book an appointment. Um, we can have a chat and see if we're a good fit. We can try the EFT and see if it works for you. And yeah. Um, one, one thing we ask all, all our guests we've had on this series, um, what's your favourite piece of advice in regards to mental health? This is for both of you. Very good question. That's a very good question. I think I would probably answer it as a therapist. I would say the more I work on my own mental health, the better a therapist I am. So I think to your point earlier about, I think it takes, I think, I think I'm a better therapist because I've got a lived experience of a mental health um, condition. Um, but I also think that you need to work through your own stuff before you can um I mean you know we're, we're all imperfect beings but I think the more that as a therapist you can work through your own stuff the easier it is for you to help other people definitely I've definitely found out with the podcast we've been able to it probably makes the podcast a lot better that we've got our own experience we're not just talking because for the sake of it yeah and, mm. and yourself Evan. I think mine would be similar to what we were talking about before is like, you know, in the airplane, they say, put your own oxygen mask on before helping others. And I think so many of us in society think, well, if everyone else has got their oxygen masks on, then I'll be fine because, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Um, whereas everyone on the planet needs to put their own oxygen mask on before helping others. Um, and to use another analogy I love as well is like, you can't pour from an empty cup. So fill your cup so that you can pour to others. Very well said. It's quite funny. <laughs> that was one of our other guests' favorite piece of advice. I think that's the first episode that was, she said the same thing, which <laughs> it's really true that you do need to take every care of yourself before you take care of others because we don't if you take care of others sorry fly in my face <laughs> um if you take care of others before yourself your own mental health subconsciously could deteriorate and then you end up with other people's stresses as well as your own yeah so yeah it's like we were talking with the empath advert or with the empath episode if you're empathetic you tend to take on other people's stress and then you don't handle your own stress and then it just piles up and you just it just gets worse I'm definitely guilty of looking after others before myself but I think I've been a lot better now when I take care of myself before I go and help other people because I've noticed myself if I've helped someone else and I'm struggling my own things I'm then taking their their stresses on board and then I'm worrying about them and then I'm not looking after myself first me too but, yep. yeah the boundaries are hard to set where yeah. you're like yeah, yeah. If you've yeah, got people, just literally going to say that the same thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Being able to set the boundary. Yeah. Things with me as well, like being in a different country to my friends, and my friends are struggling. It kind of makes me always at the back of my mind, like, oh, I want to be there to help, but I can't. And then I'm then accidentally blaming myself. Oh, I've left them. They're not able to. Look. I can't help them because I'm in a different country, and then I'm blaming myself, and then I'm making my own stress worse. But I've been a lot better lately. I've kind of taken myself away and like look, they're stressed. They need to handle it themselves. They're a human being. If they need to see someone, just suggest they speak to someone. Yeah. 
and giving um, them that power back as well to say you're having a hard time but you've got the power to get through this you can do anything you set your mind to you've got this because sometimes I've found myself I've been guilty of like inadvertently keeping them in their victimhood by saving people again and again and always being there for them to get advice from and to vent to has kind of kept them stuck whereas when I've taken a step back and said like I'm thinking of you and that sounds really hard without overly helping they've helped themselves so yeah um I'm going to say um before we finish that uh, obviously like therapy works differently for different people and some therapists might not work for some people but there there will, will be someone that will work for you um I've definitely been through a few different therapists and then found the right one eventually and when you do find the right one it's hugely beneficial so if you haven't found like to anyone listening we haven't found someone that are all different types. there's so many different types of therapies and so many different therapists so like don't give up on it um because it can be hugely beneficial um and i want to say a massive thank you to our guests for joining us um it's been lovely to speak to you both and hopefully our listeners find it like huge beneficial to listen to it and maybe get a few extra clients from <laughs> some of our listeners um Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's been really, really, really interesting, Erin, to hear your yeah, hear your story and hear your therapy as well. You too. Thank you. And thank you to Mark for helping co-host again. Um we'll be back tomorrow with uh, part two of uh, this episode. Um we'll be joined by two more guests who will be talking about some more different types of therapies. Um and it will be nearing the end of um season two. Um, and I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and see you tomorrow. Thank you, guys. Nice to meet you both. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much. No problems. Yeah. Thanks for having Take us. Take care. Bye. Thank you. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You will find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritans, Suicide Helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before, and talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.